As I mentioned before, our readings tonight and our songs are going to be kind of following that theme of peace. And uh, our first reading today really goes all the way back to the beginning where there was peace, and then there wasn't peace, and that really helps us explain where we're at today. Genesis 3, we're going to pick it up at verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you. Above all livestock and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Anyone can tell just by looking around at this world that um, it's definitely not what it's supposed to be. Something's very off. You're, whether you're a Christian, you realize this. Whether you're a non-Christian, whether you're not someone who believes, you, you still realize this world's messed up. And it's world that we're, we're trying to make it better. In fact, every single person and generation who's ever lived in history has said, yeah, we need to make this a better place. And yet here we are. How in the world did we, we get here? And the words from Genesis really explain that. It wasn't the way it was supposed to be, right? We started out with a perfect almighty God who then made a perfect world and put two perfect people, Adam and Eve, into that world who had a perfect relationship with one another and had a perfect relationship with their God, and everything was perfect. Everything was peaceful. So what happened? Well, in a word, sin. God had set up uh, among the garden for Adam and Eve to enjoy a tree. And he said, Adam and Eve, here's a tree that I've given you to obey me on. Everything else is yours except this tree. This one's mine, and I want you to trust me on this. Don't, don't take the fruit from this. Anything else, fair game, but not this. And when you obey me on this tree, when you walk past this tree, when you abstain from taking fruit from this tree, it's an expression of your free will to show love, to show worship to me, praise to me, to trust that I do have your best interests in mind. And it was great— until it wasn't. Until Adam and Eve one time said, you know, maybe God is holding out on us. Tempted to believe that, that God was not having their best interests in mind. That there was something more that they could have. And they took. And everything got messed up. You saw it right there, right? Two perfect couples, or two perfect people in a couple start blaming one another. Even blaming God. The relationship, the peace they had with each other, broken. The peace that they had with God, shattered. And you saw how sin ruins the world, and its effects have reached all the way down to you and me and everyone else who's ever been born. 
So what does this have to do with Christmas? In a word, everything. <laughs> this is the reason why Christmas had to happen. Sometimes when I'm teaching this section to teens, kids, uh, adults, anyone, I often ask, you know, if you were God, and you put yourself in his shoes, and you gave Adam and Eve, your, your beloved creation, everything, and they threw this one rule back into your face, they, they, they threw this whole thing right back at you and sinned against you like this, if you were God, how would you act? And almost unanimously, I get a response such like, um, I wouldn't take it. <laughs> they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. Um, I'd kick them out and be done with them. I, I wouldn't go back to them. I'd say, you're gone, forget it, I'm out of here, you're out of here. I'm going to wipe them out, I'm going to reset, we're going to start over. Which shows that the response that God gives is infinitely more loving than you or I ever could be. Because honestly, not a single person would do what God did. That when peace was broken, when peace was shattered, at no fault of his own, God said, I'll fix it. I'll reconcile. You messed up, you sinned, and I love you so much that I'm going to send a savior, a solution for that sin, an offspring, a child who's going to come, who's going to undo everything the devil did by crushing his head. And that's why we're here tonight to celebrate the birth of that Savior, of that child, of that peace, Jesus Christ. Our second reading is from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who prophesies to God's people in a dark time in their reign and gives them hope of a ruler, uh, someone who's going to come. And here's the words that he says. He says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, essentially Israel there. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire, for... To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
as I mentioned, Isaiah talking to the Israelites about a ruler that they should expect to, to have come. And we know that whether you're a president, whether you're a king, whether you're a queen, whatever type of uh, ruler or, or nation that you're in charge of, one of the fundamental responsibilities of any sort of leader, of any sort of ruler, is peacekeeping. And that's not just keeping peace and making nice with the nations around you, that's also peacekeeping within your own citizens, within your own nation itself, right? And so far as I can tell, history, the world, has not produced an earthly leader who has done a great job of bringing about lasting and effective, wholehearted peace to the world. It, it hasn't happened. We keep craving for it, but we keep having to search for it. You see it, right? You turn on the news, you see the unrest. You go to CNN or Fox News and listen to the shouting matches and tirades of people, grown adults, yelling and screaming at one another. You see the unrest. You see the Angry Bird Twitter and all the online social media arguments. Better yet, don't go there. Because you know what you're going to find. And you know what happens in our side of our own country, right? Every four years. Every four years, election season. Every four years is the election cycle, and both parties bring up a candidate and tout them as the bringer of peace. This is the person who's going to fix our nation. This is the person who's going to bring about peace. This is the person who's going to solve all of our problems. And if I have my number correctly, we've had 46 presidents, and we're 0 for 46. And having someone bring about that peace that we're all searching for. And so is every other nation. And so is Israel with the kings and the kings and the kings before those kings that they had, still none of them bringing about that peace that everybody's longing for, which is why Isaiah's words to, to them and maybe to you now start to pop off the page a little bit. Wait a second. Here's a ruler who's the government is going to be put on his shoulders, this, this child, and what's he going to be called? Prince of Peace? Only the peace that he would bring about would be a peace that would be so much better than what we're looking for in the world, a peace between God and man, a peace that would be lasting, a peace that would never end, a peace, a kingdom where he would rule justly with righteousness, right? That's, that's something to get excited about. That's a ruler to get behind. And that's who Jesus Christ was. That's who Jesus Christ is. And while we get to experience this peace, not just of a night, but of what this night means. As, as we get to experience this peace in a veiled sort of way, because we still live in a broken, sin-filled world with crime, with wars, with unrest, just imagine how great this is going to be when we get to experience that peace face-to-face -face with the Prince of Peace in a kingdom that will never end. Our next reading takes us to the New Testament, jumping us from an Old Testament promise, an Old Testament prophecy, all the way to the fulfillment of that prophecy starting to take place with an announcement, a birth announcement like none other, like nothing you'll see on Facebook at all, uh, nothing like Instagram, a, a, an angel, an angel coming to echo the words that we just heard from Isaiah to an unsuspecting woman named Mary to tell her the good news of what's about to happen. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, 
pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we've talked a lot about peace uh, so far, and I guess maybe we should just ask the question straight up, what is peace? Like what, what are we talking about when we talk about peace? I think there's a lot of different ideas, a lot of different definitions out there. I'm a little partial to maybe the Hebrew word shalom. If you've heard that word before, shalom, uh, it's more than just a greeting. It, it, in essence, it means peace. And the simple understanding of it is this inner wholeness, this this thing that you know everything is the way it's supposed to be, nothing's missing, nothing's out of place. And I think we'd all agree that's a pretty good definition of peace. So if that's peace, then do you know what that is? Forsver. Don't try to pronounce it and look like a fool. Leave that to me, okay? Don't, right? Uh, no, you'd say that's not a word. I have no idea what that is, and I'll give you a hint. Uh, think typing, and this is what's going to happen. If you put your hands on the keyboard on the home row, right, your index fingers on the, those keys with the, the bumps on them, uh, if you move your hands to the right and left, just off one key, and then you go to just look at the screen and type the word peace, your fingers will make the same motions, but because you're off, because you're not grounded in the right spot, what's going to happen? That's what you're going to get. Spell check is going to say, that's not right. <laughs> but more than that is, this is the idea that I believe the world gives to us when it comes to peace. Yes, we all want peace. Yes, we're all searching for peace. But the question of where to find it, you will get so many different opinions on it. Well, peace is found in relationships, friendships, marriage, family, kids, uh, grandkids. Or peace is found in a, a fulfilling job, a fulfilling career, a fulfilling purpose in your life. And while those are not bad things in and of themselves, while those are great and wonderful blessings to have, and maybe you've had some of those things, then you would especially know it's missing something. That's not quite that wholeness that you're looking for. Yeah, a great marriage will feel good. Yeah, a great job will be great. And it fills you up a little bit, but perfectly content, that you're not looking for anything else. 
that you have no more needs, nothing is out of place in your life? Probably not. Because what the world touts as peace is more like what you see here. So close, but because it's rooted and grounded on the wrong thing, not even close. <laughs> it turns out it's so far away, actually. Which is why I love these words, this, this birth announcement that the angel Gabriel gives to Mary. Words of peace that she had no idea, unsuspecting to her, that she would be the mother of God, the mother of Jesus Christ. And tells her that this child is not just going to be an ordinary child. This child is going to be that prince of peace that we heard about. This child is going to be the bringer of that peace, and his kingdom will never end. And just how would he give us that peace? You think about it. We sang a song, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. God with us. The almighty creator of the universe, who holds everything in the palm of his hand, would take that same palm, wrap it up in flesh, so that palm could be nailed to a wooden beam by a soldier and pierced. Because the punishment for our peace, he put that on his shoulders. He took those sins. He took that payment to the cross. And that's a, something that nothing can take away. No amount of bad circumstances, no amount of sins that you've done, nothing can take that away, what Jesus has done for you. That's real peace. That's so much more than a good job, so much more than a fulfilling marriage or kids. That's an eternal peace that you have now, and it'll never end. Let's continue with our fourth reading. Uh, our fourth reading is from Luke chapter 2, uh, and we're going to look at these probably the most familiar Christmas words that we get at this time of year. Luke chapter 2. We're going to break it up into two sections and see some awesome stuff that God has for us. Luke starts out, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Well, as familiar as these words are probably to most of us, like if you maybe grew up in a church, maybe you had a church program, a uh, little kids program, maybe you grew up saying those words, um, or maybe if you're kind of new, maybe those words are starting to become more and more familiar. You're hearing them all the time. What about the first couple words? The first three words, in those days. Don't really think much about it. <laughs> we, we say them all the time, we can recite them all the time, but we just kind of pass by those words. Don't really think anything at all about them. And yet I love how Luke starts out. He starts out that way, in those days, right? Not once upon a time, not 
in a galaxy far, far away. He says, no, in those days, as in, in the days when so-and-so was ruling and when these events were happening in, in history. See, the interesting thing is sometimes as I'm teaching the Bible to people and sometimes people are, are learning the Bible, they'll say, why are these, there are these like obscure details? Like they went to so-and-so's house or the name of this street is First Street or there was this town or there was, a, why do we need all of those? And Luke especially, Luke, so detailed and, and I love the, the reason why. Luke was a very well-educated doctor, physician. And if you didn't know, Luke writes the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts to a friend named Theophilus who seems to be a little skeptical. Everybody's talking about this Jesus guy who who apparently was God and he lived perfectly, he died, but he rose again and it kind of sounds a little crazy, kind of sounds like something you'd make up, a story that you'd tell. Can I really believe it? And so Luke sets across this uh, great endeavor, doing interviews, gathering all sorts of research and evidence, and and more detailed than any of the other gospel writers, nailing down precise facts and history, corroborating other events to show you the simple fact that yes, yes, Theophilus, you can believe this. And not just for him, right? For you and for me. Maybe if you have ever thought, well, yeah, Christmas, it's a nice story, but nothing else. It's, no, no. It is real history that really happened, which means God's peace, God's peace for you is real, rooted in history, that it really happened in those days when Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, which was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria. Fact check it. Go ahead. And you'll see the historians can corroborate it because it really happened forcing Joseph, Mary's husband, to go all the way to Bethlehem because that was his hometown, fulfilling a prophecy made all the way back from the Old Testament to show you this isn't just history. This is his story, right? God's story. God's history. That this peace is real. As real as history itself. Our fifth lesson tonight the continuation of Luke's uh, Christmas story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today, In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it 
were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as had been told to them. So if you were going to make up a story about the Savior of the world, the God-man coming into the world, the, the Prince of Peace, if you're going to make it up, maybe you would say, okay, the, the mother of God is going to be this, this royal princess, this super big, noble, important person, and instead what you get is a peasant girl, poor, lowly of status from a small town of Nazareth. And you would maybe write it like, yeah, he was born in a palace for everyone to see, and instead he was born in a barn, laid in a manger. By the way, kids, next time you leave the door open and your parents say, hey, what is this? Were you born in a barn? You can say, no, but Jesus was. You can always say that. Don't do that. You would expect maybe that uh, the, the, the father-in-law, I guess, if you will, would be some super important person but a carpenter. And maybe you would expect the first witnesses of this Christ child would be some, again, highly respectable, noble people, people of stature, and instead what you get is some no-name, blue-collar, late-night working shepherds working in their favorite fields near Bethlehem, and they were the only ones to see this incredible, heavenly, angelic light show display that you would think half the world would see this. Nope. Just them. You would never write it this way. Because truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> More than that, it shows you so much about the nature of God's grace. God is not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for holier-than-thou people. He's not looking for some sort of elite class and stature and people who have it all together, but people who are worthy of his grace because the fact is nobody is. Instead, what, what this shows you is these fairly ordinary, mundane, plain-jane people that's who grace is for. You. And I'm not trying to insult you. You. That's, that's who this peace is for. For you, for me, for everybody. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, it's, it's for you. This, this most special thing is for the most ordinary of people, right? And I want you to know that. And I want to say that specifically because maybe you came in today saying, well, I'm only here to make Grandma happy. I'm only here because it's what we do as a family. I'm only here because, well, it's Christmas. I guess I'm supposed to show up in a church. But I want you to know that it's more than just a holiday, right? I want you to know that whatever you walked in today with, baggage or burdens, with guilt or with grief, with sins that are weighing you down, with skeletons in your closet, whatever it is, Jesus came for you. Like whatever it is that's on your heart, whatever it is that you're thinking, I'm not worthy, you're right. No one is. And it doesn't change the fact that he gives you his grace, his peace.
take that piece in. If you want to learn more about it, come talk to me after the service or keep coming back. Trinity, we're not going anywhere. And I'd be more than happy, we'd be more than happy to, to keep telling you about this piece. Because it's you. It's for you. It's for all people. Not a piece of world peace and no wars and no crimes, although that is coming. <laughs> but it's a piece so much better than that. A peace between you and God that will never end.